Section 12 of The Age of the Condottieri by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 6 The Turks in Europe, Part 1. During the late years of this history, we have often had occasion to record the malign influence of the Turks. While cities were struggling together in Italy, and Pope and Emperor were striving for the mastery, the nomad nation of the Turks, like a black cloud of locusts or an irresistible torrent of mud, was slowly advancing and obliterating some of the fairest monuments of civilization and of piety. In the present day, the sympathies of historians or politicians may be either for or against the Turks. Some admire them, some detest them, others, while condemning them, may feel that it is impossible to set up anything in their place but four hundred years ago there could be no doubt about the matter the military virtues of the turks were equalled or surpassed by those of many european nations while there could be no question as to their hatred of christianity and their barbarous and savage character the countries which were attacked by them were flourishing and prosperous the coasts of the levant were covered by the commercial fortresses of the venetian and genoese who occupied the position once held by the ancient Greeks. Bulgaria, since used as a term of reproach, was a flourishing kingdom, the seat of a pure form of Christianity which extended its influence to the furthest limits of Western Europe. Bosnia was governed by a powerful feudal aristocracy. Servia was happy and prosperous under its native princes. Hungary held a proud position amongst the nations of Europe, and Bohemia and Poland played no inconsiderable part in the fortunes of the civilized world. A Slavonic empire, Christian, civilized, and powerful, united with Hungary, side by side with the great Teutonic empires, was then no visionary dream. All this was endangered by the impetuous advance of the Turkish arms. In those days, communication of news was difficult, events happening in strange and distant kingdoms were hard to realize the fate of constantinople which might long have been foreseen came upon men with surprise yet some of the ablest statesmen in europe were alive to the danger it is to the credit of more than one of the popes that they used every secular and spiritual agency to unite the strength of europe in this great cause but the popes were generally old men and were permitted only a short reign the emperors were often weak and worthless venice which ought to have stood as the warder of europe was occupied with her own ambitions and when she made the effort it was too late it has taken the labour of four hundred years of war and diplomacy to redress in part the disasters which were permitted to arise by the sluggish indifference of the age which we are now examining it will not, it is hoped, be thought foreign to our purpose if we give some account of the origin of those Turks who have played, and are destined still to play, so large a part in the calculations of European statesmen. The vast space of Central Asia, from the Ural Mountains to the Sea of China and Japan, from the frontier of India to the ocean of Siberia, is inhabited by a number of nomadic tribes who at one time belonged to the same race and probably spoke a similar language. 
these are now divided into four great branches who cannot understand each other's language but who resemble each other very much in manner and habit of life the first of these are the mongols who made their earliest appearance in history under zingis khan in the first quarter of the thirteenth century even at that time the great bulk of his army was composed of turks the mongols now live to the north of the great wall of china the second is the tungusians of whom the most celebrated tribe is the manchus who are the present rulers of china in the third place were the ugri or finnish race these left their home in central asia at a very early period and extended themselves over the baltic and the coasts of the north sea from them are descended the finns and the laps and to them is by many scholars assigned the great race of the Magyars, the conquerors of hungary the last and largest of the four races is the turks who under different names inhabit a vast extent of country from lake baikal to the boundaries of the greeks and the slavs we hear of them from time to time as turks of kashgar and yarkand as kirghis or uzbeks or turkomans or nogay tartars and lastly as ottoman turks the turks first appear in history about the middle of the sixth century when they descended from the slopes of the altai mountains and attacked the avars they sent an embassy to the emperor justinian and received the envoys of rome into their camp about five hundred years later a d ten thirty three another tribe of turks or turkomans conquered persia and the dynasty of seljuk reigned over them for a little more than a hundred years towards the end of the eleventh century the seljukian empire split up into four parts and the princes of one of these divisions conquered asia minor and founded the kingdom of Rum. this kingdom is described as extending from the euphrates to constantinople from the black sea to the confines of syria pregnant with mines of silver and iron of alum and copper fruitful in corn and wine and productive of cattle and excellent horses the capital of the new kingdom was fixed at nicaea in bithynia distant only a hundred miles from constantinople the birthplace of the great creed of christendom gibbon says of this striking change the divinity of christ was denied and derided in the same temple in which it had been pronounced by the first general synod of the catholics the date of the consolidation of the kingdom of Rome is ten eighty four the conquest of jerusalem by the turks immediately after this gave occasion to the first crusade the first result of this enterprise was that the turks were compelled to remove their capital to iconium two hundred miles further from constantinople the caliphs of baghdad and the various seljukan dynasties were overthrown by the invasion of zingis khan which has been already mentioned he retreated believing that he had left nothing but desolation in his track but a little spark had escaped the deluge and was destined to become a mighty flame a tribe of turkomans from the banks of the oxus had taken service under the sultan of iconium the chief of this tribe now ruled over four hundred families in the mountains of bithynia his son ottoman who should more properly be called osman has given his name to the ottoman turks in the last year but one of the thirteenth century july twenty seventh twelve ninety nine 
he invaded the territory of Nicomedia. Before his death he was able to hear that his son Orkhan had conquered the town of Brusa, and this event, which happened in 1326, may be regarded as the real beginning of the Ottoman Empire. It is not necessary for our purpose to follow the development of this empire in detail. A map of Central Europe in 1452 will show that the Osmanlis occupied all the western part of Asia Minor except the mountains of Pamphylia and Cilicia in the south. Philadelphia, which had long maintained its independence, had been forced to surrender in 1390. The Ottoman Turks occupied the whole of Romania, Servia, and Bulgaria, with the exception of the three-fingered peninsula of Chalcidia. The Dobrudska then is now formed a part of the Romanian territory. Bosnia and Albania still preserved their independence, and Thessaly was a kingdom. The conquest of Constantinople was reserved for Mahomet II, the son of Amurath II. His capital was at Adrianople. For the attack upon the stupendous walls of Constantinople, he prepared a huge brass cannon capable of throwing a stone ball six hundred pounds in weight. A large breach was made in the gate of San Romano. On the evening of May 28, 1453, confused cries of Allah ila Allah and of Curie Ileison ran from the contending armies, and at daybreak, on May 29th, the assault began. All did their duty, but the Turks were the conquerors, and Mohammed II entered in triumph the cathedral of Santa Sophia. When the Sultan ordered a search for the person of the Emperor Constantine, his body was found under a confused heap of Christian and infidel corpses. The fate of New Rome called a blush of shame to the faces of the Christian princes of Europe. If the Emperor of the West could have led a host selected from every European nation from Sweden to Naples, the Turks might have been driven back to the Euphrates. We have an animated picture of the feelings of the time in the writings of Silvius Piccolomini. Christendom, he says, is a body without a head, a republic without laws or magistrates. The Pope and the Emperor may shine as lofty titles or as splendid images, but they are unable to command and none are willing to obey. Every state has a separate prince and every prince a separate interest. What eloquence could unite so many discordant and hostile powers under the same standard? Could they be assembled in arms who would take the place of general? What order could be maintained? What military discipline could be enforced? Who would undertake to feed so enormous a multitude? What mortal power could reconcile the English with the French, Genoa with Aragon, the Germans with the nations of Hungary and Bohemia? If a small number enlisted in the Holy War, they would be overthrown by the infidels, if a large number, by their own weight and confusion. When all hope of resistance was at an end, the powers of Europe vied with each other in their anxiety to make peace with the conqueror. The brothers of the last emperor, Constantine Paleologus, the princes of Chios and Lesbos, Calajan of the house of Comnenus, all submitted themselves. Servia sent a tribute of twelve thousand florins. The Genoese settled in Galata consented to buy the preservation of their rights from the infidel. 
the contribution of the island of ragosa was doubled as a punishment for having received and harboured members of the greek imperial family and greek men of letters on their way to europe even the pride of venice was compelled to submit in the capital of constantinople forty-seven venetian nobles had been killed many taken prisoners and many venetian families had lost their property the possessions of the republic in greece were threatened and jacopo loredano was sent with twelve galleys to the defence of the negropont the fiery-tempered doge francesco foscari would have declared war but it was thought better to temporize the peace of lodi which followed on the capture of constantinople had secured tranquillity in italy bartolomeo marcello was sent as ambassador to the sultan and agreed to pay a small yearly sum for the possession of lepanto and scutari and for security of trade a resident venetian consul termed a bailio was admitted into constantinople this timely submission perhaps preserved venice from the fate of genoa the ligurian republic was as we have heard torn asunder by internal dissensions there was no central authority strong enough to defend these distant dependencies from attack they were given up to the bank of st george only to be lost altogether kaffa in the crimea had to be surrendered amastris the most flourishing possession of genoa in the black sea was depopulated in order to fill the empty streets of constantinople famagusta the possession of the genoese in the island of cyprus was conquered by the family of lusignan to be transferred to venice at a later period when mohammed the second saw that he was secure on the side of the sea and had nothing to fear from the intervention of christendom he determined to turn his arms toward the north servia was already tributary but he wished to subdue it altogether and above all to gain the mastery of the great fortress of belgrade which would thus become the point of departure for future efforts he did not despair of success but he was repulsed from the walls of belgrade by the hero of hungary the great general john hunyadi the father of king matthias corvinus the only regular troops at his disposition were three hundred polish crusaders and a few german landesknechts but with these he was able to put strength into an undisciplined rabble of fifty thousand men the fleet of mahomet was destroyed he was severely wounded and he retired leaving twenty-four thousand dead upon the field and his tents and all his property as a spoil to the conquerors the defeat took place in july fourteen fifty six mahomet was driven back to sophia for a time but two years later he succeeded in subduing servia with the treacherous help of the native nobles End of section twelve